0: My name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Hey folks, Bear here. I've been thinking about it the last few weeks. It's been too cold to, uh, really run that much here. It's been down in the like 20, 20, 25 below. And we've gotten a lot of, uh, snow when it's not been cold, it's been snowing. So not been able to get out as much with the hounds as I would like. Uh, most of the seasons are shut down and now we're doing, uh, for the very most part, we're just, uh, it's just the fox hunting season. That is, um, still, uh, still running the hare season, the deer season. And the bear, uh, bear seasons are all over. The lynx season is uh, is pretty well uh, over in this part of the country. Um, they filled their quota, uh, from what I hear. I've not been out doing any of that, any of the lynx stuff this year. Um, but you know, while I've had some time on my hands, I've been kind of thinking about it a little bit, and you know, had the Super Bowl just happen and got me kind of thinking about athletics and thinking about, um, you know, what I remember, uh, playing baseball back in the day and that we were encouraged to, to do some cross training. You know, when you're played baseball, you're encouraged to have decent cardio and maybe lift some weights. And I know it's the same with football and certainly the same with soccer over here. And, you know, some of the best, uh, some of the best players in any genre of athletics have done multiple things. You know, if you think about LeBron James, played you know was a he was a high level football player, and Deion Sanders played baseball and football at the same time. And I mean Jordan, he played basketball, then played baseball. He wasn't very good. He still did it. Uh, and then played basketball again, you know? So I think there's something to be said for, for cross training as a way of honing your edge, keeping, you know, making yourself as a whole a little bit better so that the narrow area that you choose to focus on, um, where you become better in those things. So, you know, where you're an overall extreme athlete and you choose to focus on basketball or you choose to focus on baseball, uh, and it just makes you better, better at those things. And I think the same can be said for mental, you know, mental things, mental pursuits. Um, you know, if you are a, a great poker player, it seems like a lot of very great poker players are also very good chess players. And, you know, vice versa. And I wonder whether the same can be said, or I don't wonder, I know the same can be said for um, dog training, hound training, you know, animal training in general. I believe that the people I've talked to who have uh, trained multiple types of working dogs have... It has given them a toolbox that is uh, if not more complete, at least a at least a bigger toolbox with more tools because they've been in different exper- they've been in different situations with different types of dogs and have learned how to cope with a lot of different things as a dog trainer that can then be applied in different ways. Some things are never going to be applicable. You know, if you talk to guys like you talk to guys like Ross Elwinger and Jared Moss, who are two excellent, excellent dog trainers and excellent, excellent houndsmen, you know, some of the things, if you apply them directly, they have no application. You know, the, 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 you know, steady on point. It's not going to really have any application in the hound world in, in, you know, you don't need a hound to be steady on point, but teaching steady on point, the process may have applications in the hound world. I've never had to train that. So I, I won't, I won't even pretend to pontificate about, I won't even attempt to pontificate about what those uh, applications could be. But, you know, in my own experience, I'm not putting myself in the same category as those guys. Those guys are, you know, super, super high level. But I know that in my own experience, training sled dogs has had a positive effect on my abilities as a, as a hound trainer and training hounds has had a positive effect on my ability as a border collie trainer. And, Um, you know, for the brief period of time that it overlapped, uh, you know, improved me as a, as a dog musher as well. And I think that that is because you, I was able to approach three very, very different types of dogs. You know, the the Husky is so primitive in how it learns. A Husky, so much of what it learns is going to be, um, experiential it's it's so much of how it learns is experiential where you know i can it's sort of the difference between you know a kid that you say hey that's hot don't touch that and they take that at face value and don't versus a kid that you say hey that's hot don't touch it and they go and touch it anyway and learn that way by hey he was actually right it was that was hot it's the same with the huskies the huskies are the kid that goes and touches the hot surface to find out whether it's actually hot or not I can tell them the same thing a thousand times, but ultimately what I, my biggest challenge as a dog trainer with the Huskies is going to be to set them up so that they can experience natural consequences of their own actions in a safe way. And that requires some foresight and it requires a lot of planning. So especially with young dogs, for example, most Huskies have this sort of natural genetic predisposition to want to just go balls to the wall. As soon as you put a harness on them and it makes them, you know, it makes it very, very easy to damage young dogs because you can, if you go out and go too far, they are going to end up in a situation where they burn through their available energy. You know, they, they empty that tank and then you may still have 10 miles back to the car and then they're going to mentally, they're going to mentally hit, hit a wall that may not be positive for them in the long run. Eventually they're going to need to hit that wall, but maybe not as pups. So, you know, it required a lot of planning to how to set up the runs for them where they were challenged and they were kind of, you know, progressing without getting to the point where I put them in a situation where they ended up so, you know, beating themselves up so badly that it, uh, you know, it, it removed, um, some of their overall, you know, willingness to do the job which is what you would like to avoid, you know, for me anyway, I always wanted the, the hounds to, or the, sorry, the huskies. I always wanted the huskies to have the, everything that they did, I wanted it to be based off of a desire to do it. Whereas the hounds, it's a lot of the same, but the hounds the consequences if they get tired are not as severe. They can just stop. Whereas the Huskies couldn't, you know, necessarily stop, at least not on their own. I needed to be attached to that team. I needed to be the one who stopped that team. Whereas the Hounds, you know, if they get themselves totally, totally trashed, they can lie down under a tree and sleep, you know, worst case scenario. It's not ideal, but it's it's possible for them. But... With the Huskies, it gave me the tools that I needed to be able to read young dogs, read body language, read, you know, uh, check pulses, um, see how long it takes them to get back to a resting pulse. Because that's going to be more, Max pulse is interesting, but it's the recovery that is more interesting to me. If we get back, if we get to a point where it is taking them, you know more than a few minutes to get their resting heart rate back down, then I know that we're hitting a we're approaching a point where the returns are diminished to the point where you know we we may be getting into a situation where we're, we're there's not much benefit to what we're doing anymore with the hounds. You know i I don't need to apply those things in the same ways but it's been really really interesting and very very useful information and knowledge to have going into the hounds because with the huskies i could never let them go they were always attached to me my biggest challenge as a hound trainer has been learning to let go because the golden rule with the huskies is you never do you are the one who is dictating every single aspect when they eat when they stop when they run how fast they run when they sleep, et cetera, et cetera. The hounds, you're dictating when you drop the box and then that's pretty much it. You know, as you, and I've learned that the rest of it is a dance, but me dictating things, there's very little of that. You know, I have control over which dogs I drop. I have control over whether I drop them on tracks, but once they're out, out of my reach, if they decide to go chase birds, I don't have anything I can say about that at that, in that immediate moment. I can get them stopped, but I can't keep them from making that call. I can stop them, but I can't keep them from making it, whereas with the Huskies, I could. And that's taken me a long time to get used to. The, the you know, I could physically stop the Huskies from doing something I didn't want them to do. Whereas the hounds, it had to be a relationship for it, more so than with the huskies. You know, I could say nothing and physically stop the huskies. The hounds, there needs to be a handle there. There needs to be a respect there. And there needs to be a relationship there that that makes it so that I can say, "Hey, hey, hey cut that out. And they want to listen to me. That they want to take that correction, that they want to then, you know, th- that we have sort of. I've, I've taught them that we have the same ultimate goal, but, you know, and part of that has been, uh, making sure that the, my young dogs get, have good experiences, that they don't end up in situations that are too much for them. I'm not going to drop a, you know, with a Husky, I'm not going to run a, uh, six month old Husky 30 miles with an adult team and with a hound I'm not going to drop a 6-month old hound on a brown bear with two other adult with two adult dogs it's just not going to happen so they're very different but at the same time there are applicable there there are things from my time as a dog musher that are applicable to my time now as a houndsman and i you know talking to you know some of these other people who have done who have trained multiple types of dogs, you know, Becky Dwyer trained Labradors and bird dogs before she got into the, um, the, uh, dry ground lion dogs and, you know, now her beagles and beagle crosses and she's currently training, a Alaskan Husky as well. You know, her and Cleve, they, those two brought so much, so much knowledge to the table that I believe it's benefited their, their pack tremendously. You know, having said that, I don't think it's necessary to have trained multiple things to be any good at, at at the hounds. You know, you see so many examples of people who are multiple generational houndsmen, coon hunters, whatever, that the only dog they've ever trained is a hound and they're exceptionally good at it, way better than I'll ever be. But ultimately, especially for people who don't have that generational knowledge, I think that bringing in as much knowledge from as many different sources as possible is positive, and is is beneficial. You know, one of the you know one one person I've talked to quite a bit about this is is Stefan Kikta, who has been on the podcast a couple of times, Blackbeard Kennels on uh, Instagram, and he's currently running uh, plots and plot uh, walker crosses. And, um, that guy has done so many different things in the dog, in the working dog world. He's had terries, had bulldogs, he's had beagles, he's had just all sorts of different stuff. And, you know, it, it, his solutions to common hound problems might be slightly different than the solutions of somebody who's a third generation houndsman who may be you know, hasn't experienced that themselves, but you know, Hey, their grandpa or their dad talk or their uncle talked about that, you know, one time that this dog did that. And then I did this and this is how it worked out. You know, I think for those of us that are not, you know, generational hunters and houndsmen, that the more experience we can get, the better, you know, now I'm training a border collie and the What's been really fun about that is that it's it's sort of a middle thing between the huskies and the hounds for me. You know, the hounds, it's basically me taking a step to the side and letting them do what they were genetically programmed to do. Giving them the, you know, giving them the rope that they need to... And, you know, sometimes that goes both ways, you know, sometimes it's giving them the freedom to get the job done. And other times it feels like I'm giving them just enough rope to hang themselves with, you know, where things just go pear-shaped and, you know, I, I wasn't really there to stop it from going pear-shaped and try and learn from that and move on. But, you know, still that, that happens more with the hounds than it did with the huskies because the huskies were always attached to me. I was always the one in control and I always played it kind of safe in, in, in a lot of situations, you know. Because I knew if we got stuck out in a storm for a few days, that I had the equipment necessary to, for that to be, you know, not just okay, but actually fairly comfortable. With the hounds, I don't have that. You know, if they, if a storm rolls in and I lose them, you know, they that, that might have more severe consequences than if a storm had rolled in while I was out with the, with the huskies. The border collies, on the other hand, it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a middle thing. You know, I've got so much more control over the border collies than I ever, than I do with the, with the hounds, but for them to get that job done, I need to take a step back and let them actually work in a way that I couldn't with the Huskies. And my, if I had gone directly from Huskies to border collies, I don't think it would have worked out very well for me because I would have not been at that point yet where I had learned to let go of the control to be okay with letting the dogs do their own thing, letting them make mistakes, um, without feeling like I needed to go in and try and stop that from happening. I think that I would have ended up winding a border collie up to the point where, uh, it eventually cracked mentally because I was not letting it think for itself. I was not letting it because, you know, I was, I wanted the control. Having done the hounds for the years that I have at this point, I think it ultimately has has benefited the the border collie uh, tremendously. Having, not having to be the guinea pig of me while I learn to trust their instincts. So. But I also don't think that it's necessarily the, that it's necessary to have trained other types of dogs going into the hounds. I think training in general in any way, whether you're training a little league team or, you know, the coach for a little league team or, you know, a supervisor at work, or I mean, even training a different type of dog. If you look at some of the great houndsmen throughout the you know, in throughout history, you know, guys like Dale Lee and and um you know, gosh. Warner Glenn, and they had horses, they had mules, and are such good trainers in general that I would be very, very surprised to learn that either of them felt that their mules didn't benefit from their knowledge as hound trainers and that their hounds didn't benefit from their knowledge as mule trainers. I think all in all the ability to train multiple things made them stronger in each of those disciplines. So just something to keep in the back of your mind as you go forward. And it's something that I've been thinking quite a bit about recently as I've done, you know, sort of started experimenting with different things as well, is that, you know, any type of experience that you can bring to the table, I think ultimately is going to make you, you know, a a better, a better dog trainer, a better hound trainer, because you may not learn of how you want to do things, but I mean, heck 90%, I feel like 90% of my education as a dog trainer in my life has been learning what not to do through process of, you know, trying and failing. And, you know, hang with it long enough and eventually, you know, eventually I start having fun with it, you know. But I believe that uh, the more experience you can build, the more variety of experience you can build in as many different situations with as many variables as possible, ultimately the better it's going to make you. And I think the same is true of, um, you know, it's, it's one of my main main goals as a dog trainer and any type of working dog is to expose them to as many different situations as possible in a way that l- builds their confidence. And I believe it's the same with people that if you can expose yourself to as many different situations as possible and learn from those situations, it's only going to make you better. And it's only going to make you stronger and ultimately it's going to make you and your pack, uh, a higher functioning team. So that's about it for me I've got some uh, fun interviews coming up in the next couple weeks that I'm really looking forward to and uh, I hope everybody is doing well and not uh, yeah that the winter's not beating you up too bad we'll talk bye bye man I love that sound